This podcast can be quite entertaining, but it's not Rick and Morty. Welcome back to True North Talk, episode 40. And 40 is a special episode for Peter and I. Okay, this is a special week. If you guys are not familiar, if you don't know, this is the week of Easter. Okay, this is a very big week in the Christian religion and, and really in Western society for many different reasons. Some people would say Easter eggs and the Easter bunny, um, going to the mall and meeting a dressed up figure that is a grown man shaking the hands of little kids. But that's not really what the real meaning of Easter is. It's not the real significance. And I think we've dove into the past on this podcast about some themes about Easter and really the meaning of Jesus's sacrifice and resurrection. But today we're going to go at, at it with a new angle. So Peter, I'm going to throw it to you with the, some of the broad topics of today, and maybe we'll get into a little bit more detail before we go ahead and start reading the scripture today. Yeah. So I think what, what we're going to maybe look at especially is, and I wouldn't say this is an angle that's not typically taken, but looking at how the expectations were that Jesus would be coming into Jerusalem with his entrance on Palm Sunday. He comes in basically showing signs of what the people expected the Messiah to come in on, riding on on a donkey's colt, having palm branches and clothing laid out in front of in front of him as he walked into the city, a what's known as the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and how mm. those expectations weren't what they thought of being rescued from the Roman occupation, from, from the oppression, from the Romans that the, that the Jewish people expected. But instead, Jesus came to deliver them from their sins. And so we'll obviously dive into that. That's, I would say, the most important theme of Jesus's death and resurrection is the forgiveness of sins. But also we're going to talk about the despair, really, that the apostles would have been feeling on that Saturday after Good Friday when Jesus was dead and in the ground and it seemed like all hope was lost. But then, of course, that special Sunday morning when Jesus rose from the dead and hope, hope was given for future, for eternal life and for forgiveness of all of our sins, both past, present, and future. And so I think those those are probably the, the main themes that we'll be looking at in today's episode. Obviously, it might shift and change as we as we talk and let the Holy Spirit really lead us, talk talking through us. But that's that's what I think we're, we're going to go over. And, um, you know, before we really dive into the scripture, we'll also just provide just a little bit more background and stuff, but that's that's what I have right now for, for the intro. Yeah, and something that I was wanted to speak about maybe a little bit here at the beginning was, um, you know, what you said about the triumphal entry, some of the symbolism in that. I, I had really been almost certain that we had done a podcast on the triumphal entry, but I guess maybe not. I think what it was was I we had a life group last year on the triumphal entry in which I, I studied quite a bit about that event. And some of the things that I came away with and some of the significance, um, there was some symbolism and some, some of the things that, you know, Jesus used when he rode in on the, on the donkey, even the fact of riding on a donkey, it was mm -hmm. kind of a, a way to deter and show the Israelites, um, uh, that 
Jesus was not there to fulfill their idea of a messianic uh, coming in the sense that he was not going to be the physical, literal king. Um, he was coming on a donkey, which was laughable to a lot of the highly respected, um, you know, Pharisees. Um, and it was really a lot of symbolism in that, that I don't want to just overlook or brush under the rug. Cause it's really a pretty part of the story in the, in the scripture that we're going to talk about today. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's, there's some symbolism there. I would encourage everybody to go read that story and check that out. And well, I'm not sure if you had any thoughts on that, Peter, but it, it's a relatively short passage. I can, I can read it right now if you want me to. And then if you have any thoughts you want to add quickly. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So this is Matthew chapter 21 verses one through 11 as they being Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to your daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd an- crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Mm. Yeah, and even in the term Hosanna, which they use, uh, transliterates to save now. Mm-hmm save now which is pretty incredible and you know that was a direct uh, fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah 9 9 mm-hmm. uh, about the cult and it's like I said it's just that image I think is important to preface um, what we're going to talk about today and just the overall story of Jesus mm-hmm. the humility involved in the Messiah um, which runs completely uh, in disagreement uh, with, with the common understanding, even, even nowadays with a lot of, uh, Orthodox Jews, which is like the Messiah is going to be a King. He's going to do these things, you know, be somebody, a leader of a country. That's not how Jesus was. Hmm. And I think that personifies his character and his sacrifice even more clearly for us to understand. So yeah, I, I did want to kind of touch on that before we went into Matthew 27, but I know you also mentioned the last supper. Did you want to say anything on that before we get into the story of uh, Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection? Right. Well, and before diving into the last supper quickly, the Hosanna saying save now and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna to the son of David. We're not going to read this part in Matthew, but just, this was Palm Sunday. So, Five days later, on Good Friday, these same crowds were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And, I mean, there's so many different themes in this story. That would be a theme that we could dive into a little bit more either another time or next year when this comes around. But just the, it it just shows perfectly how we're so flawed as humans and why Jesus needed to come and save us. Because one moment, we're glorifying him and we're living as God intended 
and and praising him for for the glory with the glory that he deserves and then you know within within the same week or sometimes within the same day or within the same hour where then you know we might not as christians directly be saying you know cursed be you know cursed be jesus cru- crucify him crucify him but by our actions, by the sins that we commit, in a, in effect, that's what we're doing. And so, again, that's a, a different theme, probably for a different time, but just showing the the flaws of us as humans. And it kind of fits in also with expecting this great military leader instead of a healer and a savior of sins, which is what Jesus was. So that's that's something else. I don't know if you had anything to, to add to that before I kind of talk a little bit about the Last Supper. Not really. You kind of that's, that's pretty much what I was trying to say was just the, um, the the really big difference in the understanding of the Messiah and what Jesus came to do and who he was going to be. That I, it's relatable to us as people because mm-hmm. of the humility that he displayed in that moment. Definitely. And so in in this Last Supper, we get a glimpse into the last meal before his death that Jesus would have with his disciples. We, we see after his resurrection that he did share some meals with the disciples then, but this, this is a moment when I imagine because of Palm Sunday, four days earlier on this, I think Maundy Thursday is how you pronounce it, or just, you know, if you want to call it Holy Thursday, um, where he, he spends these last moment with his disciples and I would encourage everybody to read, I think it's in John, I'm going to try to find exactly what the reference is, but it just it sh- just sheds a uh, more of a light onto some, some of the final comments that Jesus had to his disciples, and those being that, um, I'm just going to read some of the subtitles, this is from John 15, or even 14, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, he comforts his disciples, um, he shows the way to the Father. In in that passage, John fourteen six, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he promises the Holy Spirit. He talks about the vine and the branches, how the world hates the disciples. He talks about the work of the Holy Spirit in chapter 16. And then in chapter 17 of John, he prays for his disciples, and he prays for all future believers, which is is pretty incredible even you know 2000 years ago and so i would encourage everybody to read um john i think 14 really all the way through 17 just to see some of those final comments but to to wrap it up i don't want to go too long on on the last supper here um he he says that he's going to be betrayed the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me um and that being judas iscariot and then he also gives us something that we still do in church to this day, which is communion. It's a, I guess, metaphorical de- depiction, maybe would metaphorical would be the right word, of his body and his blood that would be spilled for us. And what communion really should be, it shouldn't be just something where you get a little bite of bread and you get a little drink of either wine, if your church does it. I think that's probably a little bit more of a Catholic thing, but or, or you know, grape juice or cranberry juice or something, but... It's, it's it means so much more to that and it's I think it's very important the next time that you do communion both Joe and myself and everybody who's listening I would encourage all of you and my again myself included to really just pause and think about 
this this sacrifice that Jesus made that we'll get into here in this episode. So some powerful moments in that Last Supper. Uh, he predicts Peter's denial, and then he goes to a point where he's so distraught about what he knows is about to happen to him that he literally sweats blood, praying to the Father, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. So he understands. He says, may your will be done. That's how he ends that phrase. But he also is so distraught about what's about to happen that he prays to be delivered if it's God's will. Yeah, and don't you think that kind of gives us a somewhat of an outline for how we should pray to God and, and mm-hmm. some things that we desire? You know, it's we have our plans, and the common theme I feel like on this podcast is gonna—it's been that delicate balance between free will and predestination, mm-hmm. and God's sovereignty and, and man's choice. Um, but I think that's a good example, even of even with the deity of Christ, you know. Uh, that fully human side of him desiring one outcome, but then the submission to God ultimately. And I think, you know, it's important to us, to uh, believers, you know, as a, as a community and as a church to understand the way, the proper way to pray, because there's going to be a lot of times in our lives where we don't get what we pray for. And it's essential to know that even Jesus, when he prayed, submitted to, to God, the father's will, um, in that moment when, like you said, he was sweating blood, hmm. you know, he was about to die. Like, can in you a imagine way too? It's not like he was just going to die peacefully. No, that's what I'm saying. Can you imagine knowing what you're about to go through and die hmm. in that manner and still having to go and go through it? Hmm. And of course you're going to pray that if it's not your will, um, you know, please allow me to avoid this. Of course. And anybody in the right mind would, hmm. but it, again, that shows, the fully human nature of Jesus Christ, which some people use that as an example in a way to try to argue against Christianity. I like I've had conversations with uh, people of different religions and they'll criticize Christianity because of the the Holy Trinity. And it's like, how does it make sense that, you know, there's three different gods, but there's one God. And it's what's, you know, I always explain like the Messiah, you know, that's tied into obviously Jesus being, one of the, th- the three persons of God's being, um, the son, that is essential for humanity because human beings, I think, needed that, um, just needed the, the reality that a human being would come down, that is mm-hmm. God in flesh. Like, we can say all we want about God and, and talking to God ourselves and that, um, you know, having to rely on a, a spiritual uh, connection with the Lord, but it doesn't really become f- really real until like a human being has gone through it and suffered what we suffer, hmm. you know, just knowing that God himself has been through every challenge that we have ever been through all the different sins, all the different challenges that we face on a daily basis. God himself has walked in our shoes and overcome those things, literally died and, and resurrected. He's overcome the challenges that we have. We face every day. Right, all the evil in the world, all the desires of our flesh, he took those on upon himself, and we'll get we'll see that later in these verses in this story, just the um, gravity of that reality. But yeah, I I I don't know that prayer, you know, that section about the prayer always kind of gets me, um, because it, it makes it real for us, even down to the very detail of how we should pray. So that's kind of my uh, takeaway there before we get into this, but. I don't know if you have anything else to add before we start reading in 27. 
No, I think you, you summed it up very well. Um, if if you wanted to, we could read from his his prayer, but I think what what you know the the verse that I mentioned again shows shows a picture of that. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm good to keep moving forward unless you wanted to read those verses extra. So yeah, I'll, I'll just read it again just for a little bit of of emphasis. Going a little farther, he, Jesus, fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And again, like you said, he had he had the authority where he could have said, You know what? I'm I'm not gonna do this or I'm not gonna do this in this moment, but he you know, even Jesus, the Son of God, was was under the authority of God the Father, and and He knew that. And if if Jesus the Son of God is is under God's authority, then how much more are we? And so yeah, I think like like you said, that's a perfect depiction of how we should pray. You know, we lift up requests to God, but we understand that it's not our our will for those to happen. It's part of God's plan. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm gonna go ahead and jump to 27. Uh, I guess we're partially dipped into it a little bit, but, um, we're going to start in verse 33. So for everybody reading Matthew 27, verse 33, we're going to go ahead and go through pretty much to, I mean, I'm not sure which part of 28 you want to cut off at, but maybe just read through 28. Yeah. 28 is a little bit shorter. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and start in uh, Matthew 27, verse 33, and I'll stop when I feel like we should be we should break it down. So, mm-hmm. and when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He is uh, sa- he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. Um, if he desires him, for he said, I am the Son of God, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Uh, so why don't you think Jesus did that? Why do you think he did not, you know, take advantage of that opportunity and, and just show them right there? I think first of all is because it would only validate flawed human thoughts and that, that approach that they had saying, Oh, you know, he has to show us signs for us to believe in him. And while Jesus did perform, you know, probably thousands of miracles during his ministry on earth, healing people, um, that ultimately at the end of the day was not his purpose. His purpose was to be the perfect sacrificial lamb of God to take away all the sins of the world. And it was to go through with it and to die on the cross. That is the only way in God's plan that we could be saved of our sins. And yeah, Jesus, at this point, as he, you know, prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it was God's will, he could have been taken down off of that cross. He could have had angels come down from heaven and attend to him and heal him. And, you know, at at that point, you know, just, you know, 
destroy the Romans and, and rid, rid Israel of that oppression. But again, that's not what God's plan was to happen. The plan was from the beginning when, when humans first sinned was for Jesus to come to this earth and to give up his life for us so that we could have eternal life. So, you know, it's it's really hard to put into words just how much that really means. But again, I think in two ways, it shows the flawed perspective of humans, you know, needing to see these signs and, and never really trusting. Even after Jesus had already performed miraculous signs, they still wanted to see more. So it shows how as humans were, again, flawed and never really content and then also, obviously, that was not the plan. The plan was for him to die on that cross and to heal the sins of the world. Yeah, and you look at some of the language, um, what is it, 2735, about dividing the garments. I pulled up Psalm twenty two eighteen, mm-hmm. well, 17 through 19. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. Or No, oh, actually, 16, I'll start there. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. So even that that right there was prophesied in Psalms 22. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus is, you know, casting lots for his garments. Um, but yeah, I would agree with you. I think it's, it, was, it was a disingenuous request uh, from those people. You know, they didn't really want to see him come down. They didn't, that wouldn't have caused them to believe. I don't think maybe Mm -hmm. one or two, um, but it was a disingenuous kind of sarcastic comment. It wasn't like, Lord, if you do this, then we will believe it was more like joking as it said. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why they didn't, he didn't come down from there, but do you want to take 48 through or 45 through, I don't know, 54, 54, 56, maybe. Yeah. Sounds good. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthian, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened... They were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. What do you think about uh, the resurrected bodies coming from the tombs? I think this shows that, again, being that perfect sacrificial lamb... Everybody, everybody in human existence up to this point, and this gets into a little bit more of theology, and so I'm not sure if this is 100% fact or not, but I, again, I might, and again, I might be wrong about this, but I think everybody was in a sort of like purgatory waiting to get to heaven 
And when Jesus died on that cross, those who had truly believed in him, because before Jesus came, for those who don't know, to, to get to God, you needed to repent of your sins, much in the same way as we need to do now, but by to show that, you needed to sacrifice animals. And so all of those people who truly believed in God were at this point freed from freed from death and were given that that doorway to heaven um and i I think it also just shows the power and to me the moment that stands out is at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom you can kind of interpret this in two different ways and i think i think it's kind of okay to do it in two different ways number one is it showed just the distress that god the father felt um, you know, and especially the next verse then about the earth shaking, the rocks splitting and, and the tombs uh, broke open. It shows just that God the Father was, you know, angry at, at that, that this had to happen, even though, again, it was part of his plan, but it doesn't mean that it was easy. And then the second part is it, it's more of a symbolic thing, too. When the temple curtain was... You know, the reason the temple curtain was there is because only the the high priest could get into that most holy part of the temple. And even, even like, that was, like, the inner curtain and even, like, the outer curtain of the temple only a select few could get into. But what this really was symbolic of was that all of us, every single human being, no matter if we're high priest or just, at, you know, at this time, a, a shepherd or something like that, All of us can now commune with God in prayer. And so it showed that you no longer had to, there was no in-between anymore. That in-between would now be the Holy Spirit and it presented an opportunity that now all of us could, uh, could approach God. Yeah, I'm reading my commentary in my Bible, my MacArthur study Bible, Um, the curtain of the temple. The curtain that blocked the entrance of the most holy place, the tearing of the veil signified that the way into God's presence was now open to all through a new and living way. Mm-hmm. Right. So Jesus being our intercessor, not needing to go into the temple, not needing to do uh, animal, animal sacrifice, animal sacrifice. That's an interesting <laughs> term there. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but the fact that it tore from top to bottom showed that no man had split the veil. God did it. Mm. which is interesting, right? I mean, I'm not, did you consider that before? I mean, top to bottom. I mean, it was, it was a high, high curtain as well, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So it's symbolic in the sense that God did that. God Mm -hmm. sent his son. It's even symbolic of God sending his son from heaven, Mm -hmm. right? He's sending him down to earth. And that is just, I don't know. That's an incredible image has always really captivated me was, picturing that veil um, from top to bottom because it's so unorthodox. It's so mm-hmm. strange. Um, but I'm reading here also about these, when I asked you about the tombs being open and the bodies coming out of the tombs and appearing to many people, apparently this is unique to Matthew's gospel. Uh, those, this was not mentioned. This miracle was not mentioned in other gospels. But uh, it says right here, Nothing more is said about these people, which would be unlikely if they remained on the earth for long. Evidently, these people were given glorified bodies. They appeared to many enough to establish the reality of this miracle. 
and then they do not, no doubt ascend it to glory, a kind of foretaste of First Thessalonians 4.16, which says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, that's something that I'm not sure if you're familiar with this verse here about the dead in Christ rising first, but I hear that quoted a lot regarding Christ's second coming mm-hmm. and, you know, judgment day, you know, the dead in Christ will rise first, all the dead bodies will rise first, but it could be a reference to this as well. So I think that's interesting personally. Yeah. And it did stick out to me because I have not read it in the other gospels. Definitely. And I, and I think this is, this is a point where we could dive really deep into just the theology of what happened to people who were, you know, repentant and truly believed in God before Jesus died. Like I said, it was, it was more speculation. What I said earlier that, that I've heard that, and maybe it's more like, like you just mentioned that they were given because we are promised glorified bodies when we, uh, and again, I'm not sure if it's just when we die and go to heaven or if it's when Jesus has his second coming that we'll get our glorified bodies. Um, maybe it's the latter. Um, but again, it's, there's, it, there's so much deeper meaning to, to all of this that could, could take up a whole episode, but I'm not sure if you had anything, anything else that you wanted to, to dive into before we move on. Not really. Not besides the Hannibal sacrifice. I think I'm going <laughs> to Hannibal <move> sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, you put it well. I just thought it was an interesting note. I mean, it's not something to, to really focus too heavily on, but interesting right. note. Definitely. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and continue in 57. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea, Arimathea, named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive. Uh, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Uh I'm going to keep going a little bit. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Picture that. Hmm. The angel of the Lord rolling back the stone, sitting on the stone. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. We'll stop there for now. Pretty pretty incredible imagery right there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just picturing that angel 
And I wonder what the angel, it says, you know, description, but really how much can we gather from these words hmm. was like lightning. His clothing is white as snow. Um, what does it mean that he's like lightning? I mean, that's, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but an appearance and, and power probably just brightness and, and holiness, just this pure light, you know, not, yeah. n- no, no darkness, no, no evil, just pure light sent, sent from God. Yeah. I and mean, it, it's like you said, it's very powerful and it's, it's almost like a bookend the way that Jesus came into the world, the way that he was, you know, predicted to be born to Mary and then even the shepherds, um, are, you know, in and around Bethlehem was, you know, a very similar description, um, of, of the angel who foretold both his birth and his resurrection. And so I think that's kind of an interesting parallel between these, these two stories that were both the beginning and I guess re-entry into the world by Jesus, not, not quite the end here, but it's even a little bit similar visualization in Acts, I think Acts chapter one, when Jesus then ascends into heaven after he was resurrected. And so, yeah, very, very powerful imagery. It shows the purity and power of God. And yeah, I think it's, it's pretty, pretty incredible to read. Yeah. And then verse two, 28 two, a second, the great earthquake, the second mm-hmm. earthquake associated with Christ's death. Uh, my Bible says this one may have been confined to the immediate area around the grave when an angel supernaturally rolled back the stone, not to let Jesus out for if he could rise from the dead, he would need no help escaping an earthly tomb, but to let the women and the apostles in. Uh, so there was an earthquake mm-hmm. <laughs> when the angel came down as if there needed to be any more power in that moment. Boom. The earthquakes. Um, it's just incredible. I just can't imagine being in that moment, but, um, yeah, I don't know. That's all I had on that section. I'm not sure if I'm missing anything, but obviously very powerful, powerful imagery. Um, the guards fearful, trembling, what is happening. And it's interesting too, I guess, before we move on from this, I'm not sure what you thought about the way that, um, it was phrased from, with Pilate and the Pharise- the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise, saying, calling Jesus an imposter. Therefore, <laughs> order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and seal him away until the people he has risen from the dead and the last probably worse than the last. I mean, to you, does that make sense to you? Because like, to me, it's like, if he says he's going to rise in three days, wouldn't you want to guard the tomb past three days? Because then his disciples could go steal his body on the third day and say he rose. I mean, they wouldn't steal it beforehand. I think that's just maybe phrasing. And I mean, the, the guards were still there when he rose on the third day, anyway. So, I personally don't think. To me, the the more significant thing is that they still doubted um, the the verity of what Jesus had said. And the way that it's phrased for me is this last deception will be worse than the first. And so it shows how flawed human beings were still trying to, I guess, cover up or not fully embrace what had happened. And they wanted to, you know, and at the same time, too, I I imagine the Romans would be terrified of of a resurrection happening if, if, you know, their, their thing would have been if this happens... 
you know, maybe he will work to overthrow us. And so I think that because there had also been before Jesus, many false messiahs who had come and riled up the people and caused problems for Rome. Obviously, none of those people resurrected from the dead. And so their thinking was, oh, we've been able to take care of this before. We've even, you know, they thought, oh, this, this story is done. Jesus, the Nazarene is dead. He wasn't what he claimed to be. Um, but if he, you know, is, if the tomb is empty, then, you know, the Roman thinking would was, oh, if the tomb's empty, then his apostles are going to claim that he did rise from the dead and that'll stir up the people even more. And so they were probably more trying to prevent any sort of revolt and make sure that they remained in power. Right. Yeah, I would completely agree. I mean, my question was, more, I guess I'm, maybe I'm getting caught up in the details, but it, it just seemed a little bit bizarre to me, um, the timing on that comment. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's clearly they don't understand, like you said, the the what's going on here. I mean, it's like the second deception is going to be for worse than the first. Like, what was the first deception? Him claiming to be the son of God, him doing the miracles. Right. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's it's not surprising to know like going back to the example of Jesus on the cross why he didn't choose to throw himself down because this is the this is the kind of attitude that was being cast toward him uh, you know calling him an imposter so um yeah you want to go ahead and pick up in 9 um i think yeah yeah verse 9 and then I, I personally think John 20 actually maybe does a little bit of a better job because um, in Matthew 27 or 28, 11 through 15, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. Um, and the, the chief priest basically paid off the guards to say that his disciples came and stole him away. Um and they say that we'll keep you out of trouble from the governor. But I, and we could pick up in the Great Commission because that's always a, a good thing to read at the end here. So I'll read verse 9 through 10, 9 and 10. And then I'll pick up, I think, verse 2, uh, or maybe even verse 1 of John chapter 20. Okay. Uh, so then even for, I'll start in verse 8 here. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met him. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So that, that was Jesus' message to the, the Marys, pretty much, who were there. And maybe maybe another woman or two, I think. So, and then this, it'll repeat a little bit here, but I think it's worth telling the whole story. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, that being John, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. A little bit of a selfish bragging there by by John saying that he outran Peter. I always get a kick out of that. <laughs> oh my goodness. Especially because my my brother's name is is John, so always now, uh, always kind of gets a kick out get a kick out of that. Well, the question is if they were racing to sacrifice a animal, who would win? John or Peter? <laughs> well, according to this, it looks like John would win the race. <laughs> uh so anyways, just, just always a funny little thing. And, um, 
yeah, it, it's just kind of an interesting little piece of trivial Bible knowledge there that John got there mm-hmm. first. But he, John, bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So what do you, what do you think, think about that? And I think especially verse 9 there. Yeah, I, you know, we've talked about before this idea of the kind of the lag between uh, Christ's mission on earth and when it was actually perceived and understood to the point where it could be proselytized. And I think that, you know, this is really, um, and, you know, evidence of that, right? It says, verse 9, Let's see. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And, you know, obviously my note says neither Peter nor John understood the scripture that said Jesus would rise. So, I mean, what, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not punting this question, but I'm kind of, I'm going to throw it back to you. And, the, and this is the question is if they didn't understand that he would rise, what, how do you think they perceive Jesus as the son of God? Do you think that they believe that his sacrifice would be made complete without the necessary, uh, part of resurrecting i mean was resurrection after death not necessary to fulfill his mission because to me that's kind of what that says yeah i mean i think you honestly kind of answered answered the question there i think that would have been and honestly i can't really give an answer as to why that would have been their thinking but you know for whatever reason their thinking was that maybe that jesus didn't have to rise from the dead and or maybe they were just still so in shock that he had died they didn't really. They thought that he would fulfill his mission without dying. Um, although, the, the, again, the, the way it's phrased here more says that they didn't understand that he had to rise from the dead. So they probably knew that he would have to die. But maybe they, they thought that would be the end of the story. So yeah, for for whatever reason, that's a question that honestly is difficult to answer. But I would say that's yeah, um, yeah. Well. Well, I would say it's probably that kind of confuses me too. Because um, if you're talking about what is the mission of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. The mission of the Messiah is to conquer death, is to fulfill the, fulfill the mission of God's connection, his re, his reuniting with humanity. You know, humanity fell from God when we sinned and never was fully reconciled until Jesus came. So the point of the Messiah was to reconcile humanity with God to become one with God again. Now, I don't understand from their perspective how that would be possible if there was no sort of resurrection because you're, you basically are, like I said, you're conquering the idea of death and sin. Um, and if, if that's actually what even confuses me about the, the Orthodox view of the Messiah is, is he supposed to conquer death in that kind of um, overall, you know, spiritual way? Is it, is it a spiritual conquering of death or is it more of a fulfillment of some of the Old Test, Testament scripture about the kingship of Jesus or the kingship of the Messiah? I think it almost lacks uh, the true purpose of, of the Messiah, which Jesus came to do. But I, I can also see how, 
you know, Jesus did speak in a lot of parables, even when he would answer questions from his disciples. Mm -hmm. And um, people claim that Jesus never came out and said, I am the son of God. Uh, But even when he would answer questions, you know, was it Peter that asked him? You know, are you are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? And mm-hmm. and Jesus said, "Who do you say that I am?" Yep, yep. I, I believe that was um, the Peter. Definitely, Jesus yeah, said I think that, that. Though, yeah, I think that was Peter. But regardless, you know that claim, the claim was made. Mm-hmm. But I don't even think in the way he answered his questions to bring this back around. I don't think he made it that evident how that mission would be accomplished. So, although I don't understand what they may have perceived his mission to be defined as I also don't think it's unreasonable because (laughs) prior to Christ, I don't, I don't think that many people put in their shoes would understand how he would do what he needed to do. But yeah, yeah, those are my thoughts on that. Yeah. I guess now, now that I think about it and I mean, I don't really know because I'm not an Orthodox Jew. I don't have, you know, much, knowledge apart from what I see in the Bible of it, but I would imagine that their belief is that the Messiah, and obviously they would not say that necessarily that Jesus was is his name, um, because again, some Orthodox Jews today, they, they believe that he still has not yet come. But I would imagine their viewpoint on it would be that Jesus, or, or again, the, the Messiah would come to this earth would relieve them from oppression or whatever of whatever kind whether it's romans or just you know death and maybe it is a part of their belief system that he would die but not that he would be resurrected and again i'm simply speculating here but i think that kind of just repeats what you said a little bit anyways but that's that's what i imagine their their thinking is yeah i just I don't know for sure. I'd have to look more into that and study that more to put to put to give a, a strong opinion on it. But I do. I will say that this is the core message of Christianity, and this is for our listeners, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're we're breaking down the, the scripture, we're breaking down the kind of the details of the story. But the but this is the this is the message here is that the the reason that Christianity matters is because this metaphor of Christ being a fully human, fully human, and fully God uh, reconciles humanity to God. It's the feeling we all have inside of us, the God shaped whole, the despair that sin brings the endless hole and void that sin will lead you down it leads to death the wages of sin are death at its ultimate uh, execution and destiny sin is death literal death the, the physical death and the second death which is hell but we can be reconciled to god through that uh through the the unity that christ provides us which is conquering death literally literally con- conquering death uh, but also becoming our intercessor so that we don't have to make animal animal sacrifices. Okay, we don't have to go in the temple and do blood sacrifice because Christ was the sacrifice. And maybe, I'm not sure if Matthew was as descriptive when Jesus was on the cross of you know some of those emotions and just the, uh, the grave nature of the sin that he had on him in that moment. But maybe elsewhere in other gospels is more descriptive, but, but regardless, um, that sin that we experience any sin, right? Any sin that we have experienced, Jesus did feel, and he carried that sin for all of us. Literally every sin in the entire world, Jesus was carrying on that, in that moment on the cross. And even God turned away from Christ. Where's that scripture at? When, 
you know, for the father could not look at the son at that moment. What, what is what is that scripture? Are you familiar? Honestly, that might be. I think it's just more of an interpretation that's been just popularized. I guess I'm not, honestly not sure if that is in scripture or if it is. It might be somewhere deep in the Old Testament. I was pretty certain that is a scripture, right? But may, I could be mistaken. I could be mistaken on that. But I, maybe even the line. Well, about, I think it's just that it's it's taking what what is said elsewhere in scripture that God can't even look upon sin, and so it's it's taking that that you know when Jesus was hanging there on the cross because he carried all of our sins, God the Father couldn't even look at him because he cannot look at sin, and so I think it's. It's taking different pieces of scripture because, because again, I know there are, it's, it's gotta be somewhere in scripture that it says that God cannot look on sin. And so it's again, a little bit more of an interpretation, but it's really not like it's going like diving really, really deep outside of the scripture. It's using, it's using scripture to, I guess, just magnify the significance of Jesus being on the cross and, and dying for our sins. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading a, an article on this right now. I think it's pretty good describing what I was kind of going for. And it's that, uh, the, it says Christ was completely alone in his suffering on the cross. The mm-hmm. disciples had forsaken him, yep. but now Jesus enters into an even deeper isolation for he is forsaken by God. Uh, earth has rejected him and heaven has given him up. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This abandoning of Christ means two things. The comforts of the Father's love were beyond the Savior's reach. The Father did not cease to love him in the moment. Uh, Jesus said, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life. How could the Father then cease to love Jesus while he was in the act of laying down his life? He did not. But Christ is separated from this love in this, in this moment. He is outside of it. The love that the Son has enjoyed with his Father for all eternity is now beyond mm-hmm. his reach. So... Maybe Powerful. physically or, or metaphorically looking away was not the exact term I was going for, but the separation, yeah. right? And it's incredible because Jesus is God. You yeah. know, he he is he is God. So the fact that God could take on sin in that sense and be separated from um, the Father's love is just wow. Yeah, I think it also very, shows. Go ahead. It's just very visceral. I mean, yeah. we talk about visceral imagery in, the, in some previous episodes, but this is another example of that. Yeah, and I think it also shows just the interconnectedness of the Holy Trinity that, you know, being separated even just for a few hours in the grand scheme of eternity is obviously microscopic in, in, that, in, in the, the realm of eternity, but it was so powerful and that was what it took for all of our sins to be forgiven. And so I, I would encourage, you know, just for the, for the sake of the podcast, Joe and I aren't going to pause here for, for several minutes to really think about that right now. But if you're listening to this podcast, I would encourage you, and I think Joe and I should both do this after the podcast, to really, you know, p- pause this episode and really think about and just dwell in that importance that God, the father and God, the son who had been, you know, the perfect father son relationship for all eternity past 
were separated in this moment so that we could have forgiveness of our sins and have eternal life and have hope both for this life and for for the life to come. It's it's a pretty powerful thought and I can't sum it up in in human words, but I would encourage everybody to take a moment to pause, especially over these next couple of days. It's the most important time in the Christian calendar. And so really just take a moment to soak up what that means, what the sacrifice of Jesus Christ means for for us flawed human beings. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And just understanding the fact that you know, that eternal separation from God that Jesus briefly experienced, it wasn't eternal in nature, but it was in the same, I would say the same feeling was that separation from God is something we would never, we want to never feel. And it's a blessing we have on this earth is that at any moment we can cry out to God and be close with him at any moment. And I would just urge if you're listening right now to cry out to God, I've, I've talked to people uh, there's a specific person I'm thinking of right now that I've been, you know, I've, I've speak, spoken to about faith and everything like that. And this person is, you know, receptive of it, but really just, you know, has, has trouble, has had trouble, um, uh, supposedly about really seeing God and, and really fully believing. And what's what I told them was, you know, you have to cry out, you have to seek him because if you're not going to cry out, you're not going to find the answers you're looking for because it takes a level of humility to even cry out to God. It takes a level of humility and faith to even seek him. And goodness gracious, do we have a blessing on this life that we are not separated from God at any moment? Mm-hmm. How many people would, how many souls would do anything to come back to where we are right now in this moment? Anybody listening to this podcast, anybody, even you and I, Peter, how many souls would do anything just to have one more moment on this earth to repent and become reconciled to God. And in that article, I was kind of reading briefly, but it had a good point. And it's like four takeaways from, from this moment on the cross. And, And one of them is see what sin is and learn to hate it. You know, we should treat sin as our enemy. Mm -hmm. We should treat it as our enemy. We, We should treat it. We are in a spiritual war against sin and by sitting back and being passive, we all know how that works in sports and military and wars. And it's certainly the same thing with this by sitting back and being passive, it's going to eat us alive. And you would be very surprised how quickly it can creep in. Very surprised. We don't really realize it sometimes, but the smallest cracks we leave in our lives, the foundation, in the foundations is how sin tends to creep in. So the message of, of this podcast, in my opinion, I mean, there's many messages you can take from it, obviously, but, the, the one I want to portray is take action. I mean, be vigilant and cry out to God. Just as Jesus cried out on the cross of my God, why have you forsaken me? I would urge our listeners to cry out to God. My God, thank you for giving me the grace to cry out to you right now. You know, we're still within your reach. We're still within your grace. And I just think, I think we all need to do that. So, yeah. Well, I think it gets back to a point that, that you've talked about before, you know, very passionately, and I, I agree with your passion, is that apathy. Yeah. And if you get to a point where you don't care when you when you sin, that's a major problem. And that's that's not to say that that's something that you can't get out of. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I do just want to stress that if you're at a point where you commit a sin and you just don't feel any sort of conviction then that's 
probably a sign that you need to do a, a heart check with where you're at with God. And yeah. so I would encourage anybody who is in that spot to, like Joe said, again, just cry out to God, ask him to give you a true deep desire to be be in connection with God and to not have that apathy, to, to, to have an attitude that Christ would have that when when you're around sin you just you feel i don't know i don't know what the right word that what, I, what i'm looking for here but just having an, an outlook on sin the same of what what jesus had that you just you can't be around it and and that doesn't mean that you can't be around people who are you know living a sinful lifestyle but it's certainly important to to limit that but i think more so it's when you do sin, because we all do, we all do, you know, every day as human beings, but it's, it's having a spirit of repentance and crying out to God for forgiveness because, because of this story, we have access to that forgiveness. Yeah. And really the beauty of Christ and the beauty of faith is that your heart will change. It's not like you're we're constantly fighting uphill battle. And this is maybe something that to challenge everybody listening right now is how seared has your conscience become? How seared is your conscience? Because very quickly you can normalize sin. You can very, you can do it very easily. The most the easiest example for me to cite in this area or this, this idea is that music, music for me, it's music because I have become so aware of my music that I listen to. And, you know, it started in high school. I listened to more hip hop, working out, baseball, music, whatever. The lyrics were absolutely terrible, but I did. I, I was like, you know, this is not going to affect me. This is, you know, I, I know who I am. I know my faith. It's just music. But no, it actually has an impact. And the older you get, the more spiritually aware you become, the more you notice how this thing, how these things have a, have a, have an effect. But mm-hmm. same goes know, for like uh, visual content as well. And I'm, you know, that, that that goes for TV shows and obviously one that's a little bit more easy to identify as sinful and that's pornography. But those are those. Yeah. I, I think music is one that I think maybe you focus on on more. But I know that that visual visuals, too, are very important or just the language that that is in TV shows or movies that you watch is also very important. Well, Jesus said the power of life and death is is in the tongue. And if hmm. we're with our tongue saying despicable lyrics. Yep. You know, for example, with our own tongue saying, you know, sad songs that talk about, oh, I can never get better. I have all these problems. We're saying these things out loud. And mm-hmm. okay, divorce yourself from the song. But that's a spiritual act to be speaking those things over your life. It's spiritual. But that's besides the point. That's that's really diving into music. All I'm saying is that, for example, if you go from listening to like 100% worship music one week and the next week you you incorporate a couple songs that are secular songs, but they're songs that are what well, most people wouldn't consider that bad. But when you go from listening to all worship and you hear those songs, it, it violates your spirit. Mm-hmm. It does. But if you're not doing that on a consistent basis, those songs that would violate you initially feel violating. They're not that bad when you listen to it more and more and you get to the point where, yeah, the, the, the hardcore trap rap, that hardcore workout rap music does not bother you as much, yep. even though the lyrics are absolutely reprehensible. Hmm. Um, 
that's just one example that there's so many areas in life that is like that. So all that to say, I'm asking our listeners to ask yourself this question. How seared does my conscience become? How seared has it become? And I want to read Ezekiel uh, eleven nineteen right now. And it says, let's see. Uh, actually 17, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you've been scattered. And I will give you to the land of Israel, give you the land of Israel. And when they come here, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit. I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Do we have hearts of stone? Do we have hearts, you know, that are hardened by sin? Do we have seared consciences? We need to be on guard. Going back to my initial point, vigilant against sin. We must hate sin. Uh, We must forsake sin as Jesus did in that moment. But also, what a beautiful gift we have to be able to still be reconciled to God. Yeah, and a a story that I was was actively looking for when, when you mentioned that wish of past souls to have a chance at you know, a second chance or a chance at forgiveness. It made me think of this story from Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side, and that being in heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, or hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony." And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He, the rich man, answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warm, let him warm, warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like I said, it's the, the, the opportunity we all have. Mm-hmm. Like, praise God if you're hearing this podcast, honestly. Praise God if you're alive today, because every breath we have is grace. That's something yep. that my last sermon at my church we're talking about was... Every breath we have is, is an act of grace. Mm-hmm. Every breath. Everything Jesus did on this earth was an act of grace. He did not have to come down to earth. You know, he did not. That was God choosing to do everything he can to reconcile his creation to himself, which is beautiful in nature. It's beautiful in imagery. It's beautiful in every sense of the word beautiful. But it's something that we should all cherish and reflect on and meditate on. And that's mm-hmm. that's the, that's the message of this episode is reflecting and meditating upon the true nature, the true sacrifice of Christ, but also the beauty of, of Easter and what it really means. Uh, I, I hope and pray that this episode reaches who it needs to reach. And I, it reached me. It reached my heart. I know it reached your heart, Peter. So yeah. I know anytime that we we have that feeling, uh, it's it's going to be a good episode. And I'm yeah. glad that we had the, the discussion we had today. For sure. Yeah. And it's, you know, earlier, earlier we talked about thinking 
just about the gravity of Jesus's sacrifice, but I want to kind of flip on that and just encourage again both of us and everybody listening to this episode in in light of how impactful Jesus's death was. Think about and it brings a smile to my face and honestly I feel almost tears of joy right now life that comes with his mm-hmm. resurrection. I mean it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's amazing yeah. to think about and I can't put it into human words, so that's why I would encourage you know both Joseph and myself and everybody listening to just spend time with God because I I can't say anything to really fully summarize just how amazing and indescribable Jesus's resurrection is because it gives us access to eternal life with 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 God in heaven. So mm. it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it is, and it's, it's it's oftentimes in the simple moments you realize how truly incredible that is. Mm. You know, it's a beauty. I mean, even the it's a blessing to even be able to pick up the word every day and spend time with God. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, so it's it is incredible the blessing we have. Uh, but Peter, I don't. I don't there's not much else I wanted to go into. I'm ready to pray. I, I feel like we need to pray. I desire to pray. So unless you have anything else you want to say uh, to wrap things up, I want to go ahead and pray for everybody. Yeah. Okay, great. Dear Lord, I just want to praise you for this opportunity to do this podcast, True North Talk. Lord, I first and foremost want to uh, thank you for your sacrifice and your constant uh, presence in our lives, the blessing of, of sending your son, Lord, to die for us. Everything you've given us is an act of grace. Um, I pray that you would allow us to meditate upon these truths in your word and, and just the story of Jesus and his uh, His death and resurrection, uh, but really the gruesome nature of that death and how, how much that should connect with our hearts and show us the love you have for us. But I pray ultimately, God, that we would be called to you. We would cry out to you. I pray you break down those barriers of doubt um, or whatever the case is that prevents people or somebody listening, Lord, from crying out to you. I just pray that you'd urge them, Lord, to cry out. Uh, we praise you for the ability to speak with you, to to request things to you, to, to become reconciled to you. I uh, praise you for, for just the opportunity we have to speak about our faith to get this, this message out there. And I pray that whoever needs to hear it does. Um, I thank you for everything that you've given us. I pray ultimately that you bless true North and our aspirations. And I pray that you grow this podcast and, um, just thank you for this conversation today. In Jesus name. Amen. And Lord, I just want to, want to add, I know we didn't really end up touching on it too much, Lord, just because there's not as much scripture directly about it. But I pray that when we're in situations, Lord, as the apostles would have been in on that Saturday where you were dead and all hope was lost for those apostles seemingly and despair set in and they were hiding in an upper room because they were in fear. Lord, I pray that when we're experiencing moments like that, we would remember not only that just the significance of your death but also the incredible, indescribable hope that comes from your resurrection. And I pray that that and an abiding relationship with you would would just lead us through the, the struggles and the hard times that we have in life and that we would just remain centered on, again, the indescribable hope in healing that you offer, God. And so I just thank you so much for that. Thank you, like Joe said, for an incredible opportunity to 
just really dive deeply into the significance of this weekend. And I pray that everyone listening to this podcast and, and, and just everybody else, Lord, has just a special, powerful Easter weekend and remembers just how much it means. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope everybody that listened to this episode enjoyed it. I hope you made it to the end. If you did, please be sure to drop us a rating on Apple and Spotify podcasts. Certainly share this episode with somebody who needs to hear this truth, this beautiful truth and opportunity. And with that being said, this is episode 40 in the books. This is your favorite host with the most, Joseph and Peter signing out. Peace. God bless.